0: Luigi, at the time of this recording, is an MBA candidate of the Yale School of Management. He studied mathematics in college and worked in finance, where he worked in the field of local actuarial and risk management consultancy, and later as an investment manager. His current interest is in the field of economics, which he is pursuing with a job at Analysis Group, an internationally recognized economics consulting firm. In today's episode, we talk about finance, the difference between the Philippine securities markets to that of the US, and the pursuit of building up your human capital. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Luigi, welcome to my podcast. Hey, Ravi, thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, uh, Luigi, for the benefit of the listeners, do you mind introducing yourself a little?
1: Yeah, sure. So, my name is Luigi Cortez. Um, I am currently a student at the Yale School of Management, taking up my MBA. Prior to coming here in SOM, I worked for a couple of years in the local financial sector in the Philippines, in Manila. And after my studies here, I'm heading up to Boston to go into economic consulting.
0: Mm, very cool. So, uh, Luigi, if I can just ask, like, what was it that drew you into a career in finance?
1: Yeah, actually, that's a good question. Because when I started out, it was just, I was a numbers guy. And you know, when people talk about finance, it's like this arcane field that that's hard for people to understand. And I thought, hey, if it's hard for people, I can do it. <laughs> there was that small factor. Like I just thought I wanted to get into the hard stuff. And then over time, I guess like what made me stay in finance is um, like taking a step back. I was able to see it its value in an economy because the financial system is responsible for transferring resources from savers in the in the economy like maybe stuff in your bank account that you're not using and channeling it to productive uses like uh, in businesses to make clothes or generate food or generate electricity and I thought that was profound and very important and I wanted to keep being a part of that system.
0: So uh, definitely like there's that uh, participation in something greater, which I think is important to uh, well in choosing any kind of uh, endeavor for yourself. Right. Yeah. Uh, And uh, like few things are probably more impactful upon society as the financial system. Uh, But what particular skill sets or affinities that you possess that drew you into the field? Like you mentioned it already briefly, like you're kind of a numbers guy. Yeah. Uh, But if you could elaborate a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, so one like at least in my uh, subfield of finance, we did work a lot with numbers. I worked in financial markets, so you have these um, asset prices like stocks, bond, interest rates, all of that stuff moving around, so we needed to monitor those very constantly. On top of that, we also had to analyze financial statements of companies, so we needed to be comfortable with that. We needed to look at economic data as well. So one, you need to be comfortable working with numbers, uh, and second, like having being confident in your skills to be able to process and parse and make sense of them. So yeah, that's one, and I guess another one would be um, intellectual curiosity, because uh, in financial markets, there's just so much going on, and. Uh, and consequently, there's just so much to learn. Like when making a buy or sell decision for one company, it's not just the company per se. You need to take a, a look at the broader context. Like what's the industry like? What's the broader economy like? How, how are other economies in the region doing? What's the global scene like? So there are really just a lot of moving parts. So it requires this one, like the technical capability, but also that, I guess, um, Mental mindset of yeah, I'm I, I'm humble enough, but I do want to learn about this stuff and I want to get into it.
0: Mm, okay, so um, if you if you were to like maybe encounter someone who was like at the stage where they're maybe just getting out of high school or maybe their mm. first or second year college and they wanted to make finance uh, their path
1: forward in life,
0: like what is a little bit of advice that you would give them that might not be you know immediately
1: apparent? Sure. So one is keep working on your skills just because you've gotten into the industry doesn't mean you've, in quotes, made it. It's a constant uh, uphill climb and you've got to keep sharpening the saw. Um, and in addition to that, something I would advise is really to choose your environment and the people you work with well, because, you know, when you talk about finance, people usually gravitate, oh, what's the comp like? But, you know, I think if you get into finance, it's a long-term game because it really takes a lot of time and years to really accrue that expertise in the field. And at the start, you really need to be around people you can work with who are willing to, to show you the ropes and you know who are very competent in their field. And you want to be around them as much as possible because that will um, alter the trajectory of your career to a very large extent.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, you mentioned it very, uh, I think, in passing, but like just so you can elaborate, like say, for example, you work on your skills. So what are examples of some of those skills?
1: Yeah, one exact example would be the analysis of financial statements. So you need to be comfortable going through annual reports, 10Ks, and then a corollary to that is Excel work. So because uh, the financial statements are only going to give you what's already happened in the past, so, like, you need you also need to make projections of what you can expect in the future. So that one will be Excel-based work.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, Luigi, you actually uh, came from a financial, uh, sorry, the financial industry here in the Philippines. Yep. So. Uh, and now you're, of course, you. Well, I, I don't want to say you moved on to the big leagues now that you're in jail, <laughs> because you know that there's like negative connotations. The, the the industry here is very sophisticated. But just for someone who might be starting out and doesn't know what yeah. a career in the financial industry might entail, what are the financial? What what is what is uh, the professional scene like in the Philippines?
1: Yeah. Sorry. What What do you mean by what do you mean by that?
0: Oh, sorry, what are the financial markets like in the Philippines? Sorry.
1: Oh, okay. What are the financial markets? Um, yeah. Yeah, so compared to the rest of the world, we are definitely still uh, in a very young stage. It's not very well developed yet in terms of the amount of instruments available. Um, and there aren't that many issuers as well on the private side. Like, it's mostly the big com- companies and groups like the Ayalas, the Gokongways. The C family, uh, yeah, they they I think account for a good amount of the activity in financial markets as compared to, you know, in the West where you can be some dropout founder and you're raising venture capital, and or like eventually going IPO. So in that sense, um, the Philippines uh, is that's one sense in which our financial markets are uh, not yet mature, and. On the other side as well, in terms of participation, like you may have heard uh, in the past couple of months, stuff like GameStop and AMC, the Wall Street bets thing. There, I think there just is um, a lot more participation in, on the retail side as well compared to the Philippines. So those are some ways, I guess, like um, yeah, how our financial markets compare to other other parts of the world. But I guess taken on an absolute basis, I think it was a lot of fun working in the markets because the upshot, I guess, of um, working in a relatively small market is there's a smaller amount of coverage and you can really take the time to get to know how things work and ask people around, oh, what do you think of this guy and this other guy? And they generally will be able to, to talk about those.
0: Mm. So, I, I have uh, two questions. Uh, the first one is uh, this level of participation. So, why do you think that uh, there isn't as much participation in the Philippines as opposed to a more developed financial market like America?
1: There are a lot of factors to that. Um, on the demand side, I guess like, top of mind would be financial literacy. Uh, it's just not that high across the board for us. Although, To be fair, it also is an issue in other countries as well. So I think it has possibly something to do with how people are wired. Like it's thinking about retirement or like 50 years from now, it's just something that's not our first instinctual reaction. Um, But I think in the case of um, our country, there really is a more fundamental reason, which is, I think, the, the level of wages. And, you know, you, you, we have a lot of people who are still living paycheck to paycheck, paycheck, wondering where their next meal is going to come from. How am I going to make rent? How am I going to send my kids to school? And, you know, when you're in that environment, can you really blame people that they're not, in quotes, saving up for their future? Like, I, I'd, I'd like to imagine the desire is there, but just that there's not as much to go around. So, like, I think that is something that, um, we need to make headway on um, more livable wages for the common Filipino so that we can see hopefully more participation in the financial markets.
0: Mm-hmm. Before I go to my my next uh, tangential question I'll just I'll just relate like a small anecdote actually yeah, sure. cause I, 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 I do a lot of business advocacy where we try to lobby that mm. laws be changed. And like, so, so I put myself in a position where business people come to me and they talk yeah. to me about some initiatives that they would like to take on. Uh-huh. And it's really funny because I get approached by this one lobby group and they tell me seriously, like without, without the, the slightest hint of humor that they want to reduce the minimum wage. And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> wow. I'm so, I'm sorry, man. Like I, I'm a businessman too, but I see right. no problem with the minimum wage. Like I am really like morally, I could, I, wow, I don't that agree with <laughs> yeah, That's I don't agree with that. Like. Uh... No, because um, they like they say that oh, if you look at the minimum wage in the Philippines, like, cause oh, sorry, this is specifically in the context of export. So no, okay. they say that the the worker in the Philippines is paid uh, the minimum wage is higher than in adjacent countries. So if you're a buyer who's looking for a trade partner, you'll choose a place with like a lower uh, labor cost than the Philippines, that but. Is. Uh, of course, my retort is usually like, you know, like that's for like unskilled labor. Like we mm-hmm. actually have a lot more value add. So we don't really need to argue for these things. Maybe yeah. if you're having a hard time making your business be competitive, maybe you should employ more technology, these kinds of right, things. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, it, it's, it, it, it was really appalling that <laughs> someone would come to me and I suggest see. that we argue against it. Um but that, that just speaks to your point, I guess, about um, uh-huh. uh, how you have to, uh, like, we have to sort of create this kind of, uh, we have to make it so that people are capable of getting a more livable wage so that they, yeah, they save eventually. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess, and this is, this is related to what you were saying a while ago about, like, you coming from a smaller market. Um does that mean that there are less opportunities for someone who wants to work in the financial sphere in the Philippines as opposed to, uh, like a larger, a larger industry like in America?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, because at least in my experience, it seemed like the people in the industry really knew each other. So, yeah, um, I guess which is a good thing. It facilitates, uh, you know, market transactions and all that. But I guess it also speaks to the size of the industry and. I think you only really see those roles in Makari, and I guess to a certain extent, BGC. But other than that, I struggled to think of where else you could go if you wanted to work in finance in the Philippines.
0: Mm, okay, okay. Um, Can you, like, because we kind of brushed over it very quickly, can you elaborate on what it was you did while you were working here?
1: Sure. So I wore a couple of hats throughout my time in the industry. Um, one of my roles was an in, as an investment analyst and essentially I, I helped out in terms of making decisions on how we invest the, our client's money. So that could entail looking through financial statements, um, analyzing whether we should get into a company or whether we are comfortable continue to hold that company in our portfolio or whether it might be time to maybe get out or cut our positions there. So that's one. Another one is uh, in terms of trading strategies, because you may have a list of um, companies that you like, but you don't necessarily hold them in equal weights. There are these other, um, like how do we allocate our funds? When do we get in? When do we get out? So on the trading side, there is some work to be done there as well. So that's on the investment side. They also played a role on the analytics side, on the risk and investment analytics And essentially, we have this stream of data, every single trade is captured by our systems and we just need a way of making sense of the data. How are we doing? Are we doing a good job? Compared to our benchmark, are we outperforming or underperforming? And which specific decisions contributed to that and which detracted? How can we do things better moving forward? How risky are our positions? Are we concentrated in specific sectors? Should we be diversifying more broadly? So those kinds of questions. So that's a lot more nerdier than the investments work.
0: So, what does the uh, what does the workflow look like to be able to go back on those decisions you've made? Like, because I can imagine, know mm-hmm. that you make these decisions where you where you decide that oh, yeah. this portion of the investors' money will go towards this. So, how do how does how do you then go back and look with uh, fresh eyes at those previous decisions? Like, how does that how does that process occur in the in in your work?
1: Yeah. So, in our case, I guess like. Uh, there's daily feedback. We get to see our portfolio's performance, like, plus 0.7% or minus 2%. On a daily basis, there's that piece of feedback. But we also have a more formal um, investment performance review, which goes monthly. So, like, for the month of January, we take a look at the past month. Okay, here's our top-line performance, X%, and how do we break that down per sp- per position or per, per sector or whatever. Yeah, and we take a look. Okay, some positions did well, some didn't do well. What are the most significant drivers? So for example, if even if our top line were, let's say 0.7%, one position may have made 5%, but on another, we lost 3%. So, there's, so we just dig, really dig into the numbers and try to make sense of what went on in the past month and whether we will still continue holding our positions or it might be time to reassess.
0: Mm. Yeah cuz you know it, it's hard to imagine how the process actually occurs because there's like a large amount of volatility in the market so yeah, yeah, yeah. like I I wonder how you would strike the balance between like that day-to-day how the price is move what the price action is as opposed to like, your yeah. overall investing strategy which might ha- which probably has a much longer horizon.
1: Yeah, you know, Rani, that's a very fundamental problem and it's something that practitioners really struggle with there's always that tension so like the the price action really is just one piece of feedback at the end of the day we we need to be taking a step back is this driven by just mere sentiment or are there fundamental changes at play so that's something we're we're always like keeping at the back of our minds Mm -hmm. because you can't tell yeah you can't tell definitively
0: Mm-hmm. And, and for the benefit of those that might not be very financially savvy, what do you mean when you say the word fundamentals?
1: Oh, fundamentals would be like, for example, Jollibee, because <laughs> I'm craving Jollibee so much here. Like, are people going to be buying more Jollibee? Like, um, are, are they going to experience more revenue growth? Are they expanding? Are the existing stores selling more YumBurgers and Chicken Joy? Or are they stagnating already? So that's what we term fundamentals. Like, how is a business doing as a business? As opposed to a stock price, which can, you know, it can move up even if business performance hasn't changed. It can also move down without the business fundamentally changing.
0: I'm always I'm always reminded of that phrase in the Intelligent Investor, like buy a stock as if you won't look at the price for like ten years or something. Right, that's right. the advice. Right. Yeah,
1: right? yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. So, what is your so since you spent a lot of time in the industry, uh, I think it's fair to ask you questions as to mm-hmm. the level by the level to which these products satisfy the needs of people. So let's start first with maybe uh, your general impression. What is your general impression of the sophistication of products most often? purchased by an average investor. So some yeah. examples are your VULs, your UITFs, and much less common, your ITFs.
1: Mm-hmm. I think they're pretty vanilla and they do they do the job. Yeah, like as savings vehicles and pooled investment vehicles, they do the job. My only, I guess, like, um, advice for people with regard to these products is Since they are pretty vanilla, they tend to be pretty much the same. So, like, I would really shop around and take a look at the fees because there is a wide dispersion of fees. Some can charge as high as 2% or possibly more per year, whereas some are just charging 1%. That's, like, half. And I'm hoping there are some that are even cheaper than 1%. But Because if you're getting the same product, might as well go for the cheap one, right? So, like, basically shop around and compare prices. So, yeah.
0: So, why, why do you... So, like, just to, just to really hone in on that question, why do you think trust fees tend to hover in that range in the Philippines? Because, you know, sometimes I can't... When you expose yourself to financial mm-hmm. information, yeah. it's easiest to get information from America. And then you get these right. examples of, like, tr- uh, funds that whose trust fees are, like, fractions of, a, of like, half of a percent or something, right? Mm-hmm. So, like... Is there a particular reason why uh, like the, the trust fees are comparatively higher in the Philippines or
1: mm. um, Well, I guess from a supply perspective on the provider side, maybe because the market isn't as large yet, so they need to price a bit higher to cover their costs of operation. But on the demand side, I guess like they're maybe like, people aren't that uh, aware. Of the differences in prices and they aren't you know that price sensitive as a result because if you think about it when do people really invest i think um well this is anecdotal just and i don't know how widespread it is but you know you some folks i know really just started investing because they have a friend who's a financial advisor and said hey you should start investing oh okay um how much should i put in and you know, like there's no assessment of the fine print and the fees anymore, so in that sense, people aren't very price sensitive. As opposed to here, like um, it they these vehicles have been around for much longer, so that the marketplace is just a lot more competitive, and you know, there are there are players in the industry who are really broadcasting, oh, these are the fees that you can expect from us, which are so much lower than all our competitors, blah, blah, blah. <laughs>
0: mm, so but, interesting um, question. Mm, uh, so I asked you a question about like your impression of the sophistication uh, this, this relates now to how well they meet the needs of the people. Do you feel that the demands or the needs of the public in the Philippines are adequately met by these very vanilla products?
1: Um, hmm. I would, I guess, like, decompose that question further. If you look at demand in the sense of how much are people buying, like a, a very shallow definition of demand, I guess. I, I guess, yes technically they do they are able to get the job well but i would go a step further and think about what is dri- what is a more fundamental driver of that demand which is the need for financial security um, i'm not so sure because going back to the what i pointed out earlier there still are a lot of people who are you know living paycheck to paycheck and there still is that mentality of oh, when I grow old, my children are going to take care of me. So from that underlying perspective of will there be financial security in retirement, I'm um, not so sure how well the job is being done. But then again, there's also a chicken and egg effect. Like, is it because there are low wages that people can't invest or vice versa? Mm. Yeah, so that's a, it's it's a tough question. In other words, I am not so sure.
0: Mm. And of course, you know, like there's that very real structural problem where we have like systemic poverty in the Philippines, and we do have like some structural responses to it. And of course, uh, it's very important to understand any discussion that has with like the 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 level of inclusion in the financial markets in the context of that very uh, specific context that's unique to the Philippines or maybe unique to many developing countries. Um, and I've, another thing that I always like to point out is that yeah. people have a very backwards view of investing at least so maybe it's different in manila but i grew up in cebu so uh, you know the notion of investing in the province is very different from investing in manila where you know people are maybe more savvy when it comes to these financial Mm -hmm. products in in here in the in cebu for example we people view investment as like a speculative purchase of a plot of land and then there's i i know very many uh rich people quote unquote and who you know—that's that's what their that's what their idea of an investment is, <laughs> right? Yeah. So definitely, there's uh like a level of uh, maybe they should like a little bit of financial literacy also to the to the level of investment that that does occur in the Philippines. Yeah. Now, um, looking at uh, your personal uh, experience, you you used to work for a Miravite Consulting Group. Miravite and Yeah, and you... Yeah, Miravite, Miravite, sorry. Yeah, Miravite,
1: no worries.
0: Yeah. Um... And you worked on retirement plans. Actually, I really find that interesting to talk about because uh, retirement plans in the Philippines are not are nowhere near as ubiquitous as they might be in the United States because in the right. United States, there's this legal vehicle called the 401k. And you have to correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I believe the legal implication of the 401k is that the gains on an account there are not taxed until the time that they are pulled out. Right? right. So dividends that might be incurred. Right. In the Philippines, we actually have a few legal structures that seek to... Uh, well that kind of approximate this yeah right we have um we have uh the pera accounts right mm-hmm. so these are tax exempt in in terms of the gains that they might incur up uh, for the first hundred thousand pesos that's put in every year i believe yeah and then there's also provisions in the tax code that uh that make it so that uh they the contributions to these accounts can be exempt from income tax. Although I didn't I, to the best of my recollection, I do not believe the Bureau of Internal Revenue has issued a clarificatory regulation to allow people to avail of that provision in the tax code. Uh, so obviously the two contexts are very different, right? Uh, how is it that we might begin to make our way towards Uh, a a situation like in the U.S. where retirement plans are so ubiquitous and comparatively more people are financially secure in their old age?
1: Right. Wow. That is a very interesting question Uh, that really has me thinking. Um, I think um, it would have to be, well, I think we need to deal with several structural issues here. The first one would be the wage thing that we pointed out earlier. It's really hard to expect people to to save. It's hard to expect people to save when they're barely getting by with paying their living expenses. So that's one issue. Um, a second one is, I guess, the, the, there might be. Um, on the labor market side as well, in addition to the wage. Because the thing is, in other countries, companies offer like retirement benefits as part of the compensation packages. Like when you contribute to your 401k, we will match up to X percent of your salary. So that sort of um, is a result of the competitive labor market as compared to the Philippines where, you know, on the wage side, it's kind of depressed. From the perspective of a company, the thinking would be, why would I even think about incurring this additional expense? So, so I guess like maybe for more innovative and forward-thinking companies, that could be something they could look into as part of their um, maybe strategic talent acquisition play, like offer this retirement benefit. So on the third side, um, maybe policy might be good as well, because we do have, for one, the um, I think there's a minimum retirement benefit uh, law. But in addition to that, there might be it might be worth exploring whether we should encodes man uh, force people to save because I know that Singapore does this. People are required to contribute a fixed percentage of their um, salary and stash it away for their future retirement. I guess, like in a in a in a country like ours, where you know literacy is relatively low, and you know it, it uh, saving for the future is not very salient, there might be a room for policy to make a dent on that end.
0: Mm. Well. How how do I how do I put this? The thing that's strange though is in the Philippines. I think there's like a really low level of trust in like the government institutions. Like, that, that is that's true. Chicken in chicken and egg, chicken okay, egg yeah. problem. Like... Fair
1: point. Very fair point.
0: <laughs> so so like...
1: yeah, I guess I was just speaking from a mechanistic perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but that that yeah. is a very fair point.
0: <laughs> it, it it's one of those things because how do i put it like we, we do I mean, we already do it to a certain extent like we have the social security system which allows people to like remit a portion of their wages yeah. you know with the, with a view towards their pension and other ancillary financial services no but yeah it, it, like to create something i guess on the level of like a for, a forced savings account something similar to singapore that that's an interesting proposition because if if you could if mm-hmm. you could if you could tailor that system in such a specific way where uh, it was still private banks and, and competitive financial institutions that had to f- vie for uh, the 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 opportunity to service those forced savings accounts, then maybe there's a way to slice it where those structural problems of you know let let's call it let's call a spade a spade corruption and um, other other forms of government mismanagement might not be as mm-hmm. much of an issue. Now we've talked about you know the context in the Philippines where people don't actually really have so much financial literacy, like the structural incentives that make it so that it's worthwhile to invest are not so Mm -hmm. strong, right? Um, And I think I brushed over it a while ago, but uh, the Pera account is nowhere near the 401k, right? Uh, In terms of the the benefits that it grants. Mm -hmm. So largely now people have to make their own investment decisions, right? So could you give a little investment advice advice that's premised on you know different levels of competence and co- comfort with numbers so let's say for example uh you know there are some people who might have no uh no real business or financial experience at all there's some who might have a little and there's some who mm-hmm. might have more um maybe if you could give like those three uh maybe if you could give financial advice premised on you know that level of competence with numbers and Uh, and uh, financial literacy, right? If you Mm -hmm. could, yeah, uh, walk people through to what they might look for at each level of experience, at each level of knowledge.
1: Sure. So I guess in in addition to the ability um, that you mentioned, I would further segment it into, I guess, willingness slash capacity slash bandwidth to put time into this kind of stuff because it's I guess it's similar to fitness. Like some people can be very knowledgeable, but they just don't have the time to really hit the gym or whatever. So I would also segment it that way. So for people who want to take a hands-off approach and or like don't have the capabilities to go deep into analysis, like just look for a cheap fund, cheap mutual fund, cheap UITF or whatever, and focus on Contributing regularly, like for me, something that really worked was whenever the salary hits X percent goes straight, because if it's in my bank account, it's going to be I'm going to spend it <laughs> out of sight, <laughs> out of mind. So that's one. And as you um, increase your, I guess, like um, capacity to really get into it or you're willing to devote more time I would start out by reading the, in quotes, classics uh, in the field, like the intelligent investor, start chatting people up who invest in the markets and, you know, get a sense of what their thinking is like, and then set aside some money that, that you can spare and think of it as a tuition fee and just play around in the markets. Like the goal would be to get a feel of how things work and... for for information gathering purposes. And then as you increase in the amount of time you can put in and your capabilities, that's when I would consider more concentrated speculative positions because you, you only really need to hit these home runs once in a while. Because if you, you don't need to be right all the time, but the goal is to find that one bet that can double or triple or even five or 10 times your money and that will more than make up all your losses. So that's mm-hmm. on the financial side. But I think something else that applies across the board is that investment need not be limited to financial assets. It could be investing in a small business or investing in your hobby or investing in your, in your Instagram page or something. Or for professionals, like investing in your human capital, which at least for me was the gameplay. Like, I don't see myself uh, starting a business at least anytime soon just because the headaches of it uh, make me shy away from it. But, you know, something I really did was to invest in my human capital each year, making sure, am I getting better at my field? Am I developing new skills that will make me more marketable in the job market? Or if you're entrepreneurial, how can I build towards my first rental property or my first business idea? How can I make that happen? And the principle really is the same, that over time, you keep contributing, you keep putting in the work, and once you gain that critical mass, that's really when it starts to pay dividends. At the start, it's going to be tough, but you just got to trust the process.
0: Mm. uh, One one small thing I will add, though, uh, is that... um... I, there is actually a bills payment function in like most mobile banking applications in the Philippines. And uh, you can more often than not set it to automatically deposit with uh, your broker's account. And you can also simultaneously set it up so your broker's account automatically buys certain stocks for you. Like that for me uh-huh. has been one of the very important ways by which I've kind of automated my... Uh, investing process, right? Yep. Just to make it so brainless, because I figured out that, you know, and this is you. I think I think you'll remember, Luigi. Uh-huh. I asked you a few questions for like, yeah, like yeah, how yeah. to like more uh, spend more time, uh, mm-hmm. like looking at my investments, and then my law practice started to pick up, and then I very quickly realized that I could not devote the amount of time yeah. I wanted to yeah. uh, to this endeavor. <laughs> so uh, just just figuring out that way for me to make it brainless mm-hmm. has been mm-hmm. like a large part of the battle towards um, making it consistent where i'm saving or i'm putting money away and where i know i'm investing the money.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: <laughs> so, uh Luigi, you actually went to uh, a really you 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 are at a very prestigious uh, uh, educational institution and like mm-hmm. uh, I, I I do not hesitate to say that this is very many people's dream school. Right? It was uh, my, dream so, it <laughs> my
1: dream school. It is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Uh so Uh, I want to talk about that a bit. So can we, like, uh, talk about, like, first, very first, like, what motivated you to take that that leap to try to go for, like, an Ivy League institution?
1: Well, I guess as part of my work, I did have to read a lot of materials, like, on the markets, um, and a lot of the literature really comes from, you know, the West, like, in the U.S. and Europe. So and just thinking and just seeing how people think and encountering their great ideas, that that really fascinated me. And beyond just finance, like because you know when you're analyzing a business, you also need to understand well the business side of things. And I started reading these classics like Michael Porter, uh, Clayton Christensen, uh, these these business thinkers, and it really got me fascinated in all the other aspects of business as well, like marketing, all that stuff. And I, I felt like in the Philippines, those were things that wasn't being talked about a lot. Like, um, yeah, so, so like I, I felt I really needed to go abroad if I wanted to learn more about these things. And my goal really was I want to be the dumbest person in the room because that way that's going to accelerate my learning and development. So that was the impetus for me to go abroad. I want to spend time learning from the world's best thinkers, and then afterwards spend some time working with, hopefully, some of the brightest people in the world who are the best at what they do.
0: Mm. So, I think I think you like you you don't you, you have this inkling that you want to go to this incredibly prestigious institution and so you have to kind of I, w- I won't say tailor your career but you have to make certain career choices uh that that will support that goal of like going to a to a very prestigious educational institution like what career choices did you do that might you know maybe maybe have increased the the uh, the sta- your your status, I guess, at least or like on a resume level, when when deciding to like make the application.
1: Very interestingly, I made my career choices without the view towards studying abroad. <laughs> it, it was um, the decision to go abroad really just came to me relatively recently, like twenty eighteen, I guess. And yeah, but something that has served me well is this drive that you know I need to keep getting better. I need to be willing to take on more responsibilities, and you know, try to give more than I take at least in this stage in my career. Because, um, like in in Ateneo during college, I attended this career talk. I forget exactly who it was, but there was this older gentleman, and he 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 said this line that really stuck with me. He said, "In your twenties, when you're starting out, the goal is not to get the highest." salary that you can get. And the reason is, you know, you you don't have the skill set yet. You don't have the human capital yet. Think instead that, you know, the goal is to find that opportunity to really develop and hone yourself. The goal is to make in one year of your forties, what you made in your entire twenties. So that was the prevalent mindset for me. Like in my twenties, I thought like I need to be hungry. I need to be constantly working at myself. I need to be looking for ways to get better and gain an edge. So that implicitly guided my um, choice, my my career choices. I guess Um, I didn't go for the really large institutions. Rather, I, if you look at the companies I worked with, they were relatively smaller. But the benefit to that was, I, it really gave me a larger, I guess, larger leeway to. To contribute to the team
0: mm. so uh if you were talking to someone who you know maybe you know if they were a real go-getter uh, maybe they're early in their college life and or they're you know just getting out of high school uh what kind of advice would you give them so that like they could get to a position that you are in get to the position that you're in now like attending a very prestigious ivy league institution
1: i would say like the most fundamental thing would be mindset. Swing for the fences, go for it. Like the the numbers are gonna be against you. It's gonna be a crapshoot, but you only need just one one bet to work out for it to have been worth it. So in terms of tactical advice, I'm not so sure how admissions work, I'm sure there's a lot of information in the internet. But once you light that fire in your belly and you keep it you keep it burning. I think that's gonna do a lot for you.
0: Mm, okay, so uh, now you're at this incredible juncture, right? You're gonna you're gonna walk out of this institution. I, I I think you said you're just a few months away from graduating. What's what's in the immediate future for you?
1: So in the immediate future for me will be to take a break, <laughs> spend time with family, um, hopefully go back home and see more of Asia. I'm hoping that COVID restrictions will be lighter then, but after that, I'll be heading to Boston. I'll be joining this firm called Analysis Group, and they are uh, in the field of economics consulting.
0: Okay, so what is what is that? Like that's something. Actually, when I when I was uh, corresponding with you over email, I'd never heard the economics and consulting together. What is economics consulting?
1: Yeah, so that it's actually a pretty niche field. I've only encountered it here in the U.S., but. Um, Super catch-all definition would be you're consulting for clients and doing economics and math for them. Um, In terms of uh, practical terms, Analysis Group has two main lines of business. One is Healthcare Economics and Outcomes Research, or HEOR for short. So we work with uh, institutions in the healthcare field and we take a look at the data and conclude, like, is this uh, treatment uh, cost, cost effective, how is its performance blah 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 so on that side so parsing through a lot of data and making health economics related decisions and the other really large field is antitrust and litigation support. so and that has to do with the legal system I think here in the US there are antitrust laws and you can sue your your competitors for for anti-competitive conduct. And there's also part of the competition policy is when there are mergers that have the tendency to to lessen competition in the marketplace, it can go through review by the Department of Justice. And if things aren't resolved, you can go to court. So yeah, we do. Um, so part of that process is, of course, you need to quantify like, oh, it's going to be bad for the economy or you, you cost us damages worth x million and the estimation of and the quantification of those costs and benefits require a lot of economics work
0: actually one of the other podcast one of the other uh episodes on my podcast is i actually interviewed a lawyer from the who who did some time at the uh, philippine competition commission oh wow it's really yeah it's really interesting because it's one of those legal structures that's uh, strictly speaking, new, like antitrust law is only about 100 years old. That's compared to like other branches of law, like civil law, which has existed thousands of years. It used to be like whatever was your uh-huh. property was your property. And you had no, let's say, social uh, obligation, like as by virtue of right. the property. Uh, if I can just flex a little bit of the, the knowledge yeah. I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, there was this one uh, agglomeration of corporations. It was called uh, Standard Oil like a hundred years ago that really prompted the existence of the field right it was it was uh, It was the result of merger after merger after merger after merger uh-huh. and you essentially had this one massive corporation that could set the price of oil all over the United States and that That's was the it. first time where the government said uh, no mr rockefeller no good. Uh, yeah. you, you have yeah you have to break that corporation up because you have too much control." And um, there were subsequent cases also, like Microsoft was another one, which was, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it had something to do with the way that they bundled Internet it? Explorer with, and how it basically boxed Netscape Navigator out of the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting because... Uh, my, my question, though, is, like, mm-hmm. who are your clients for, like, an, an- economics consulting? Because uh, it seems yeah. like you would you'd be contracted <laughs> by governments or something.
1: Well, um... There is some government work definitely, um, because in addition to antitrust, we also do these niche um, consulting jobs. For example, Analysis Group helped, I guess like some of the New England states, like what should our energy policy be like so that we can encourage adoption of renewables? So that was pretty cool. Um, In addition to that, I guess the clients would be the defendants or plaintiffs in a suit, for example. In a Microsoft case, like they're being sued by the government, um, like uh, Microsoft could retain AG. That's one possibility. We could also work for the government who's prosecuting against uh, like a, uh, an alleged monopolization, or it could we could be on the on one of the parties in a private suit. For example, over the summer when I interned. Uh, we were working for this generic drug manufacturer who was suing a branded guy for alleged anti-competitive uh, conduct that, that foreclosed their entry into the market. And they were alleging, oh, because you did this, consumers had to overpay by this much. We lost revenues of whatever, so you owe us this amount of damages.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually one of those things it's really weird to to see it because you know when i went into law school like i i really thought that uh these legal matters were purely the domain of lawyers and mm-hmm. as society becomes more complex you see that increasingly less and less of what you thought to be your exclusive competence uh-huh. you have to share with this incredible <laughs> ecosystem of uh incredibly qualified consultants mm-hmm. and you really realize that you only know such a small segment of the pie but, of course, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a welcome development because that means that legal structures are more aquately, adequately able of, like, confronting these issues. Uh, so, Luigi, uh, do you think, like, because you're, you're at this juncture in your career where you have an incredible amount of opportunity, but that opportunity exists in the United States. Yeah. Right? Uh, do you think that your path will bring you back to the Philippines? Or will you be there, like, for the first, like, for the next couple of decades?
1: You know, I mean, it's very hard to tell. One of the things I've learned in the past years is that you never really know ahead of time what the future holds. It sounds like a truism, but like back in 2018, I had no idea I would be here or that I would be even heading to that field. But I guess like back to your question of whether I do see myself back in the Philippines, certainly it's home. It's something I will always be open to. And the thinking right now is, Like I am still holding the same mindset as I have all these years. Like whatever opportunity I have, I will I will try to maximize it and use it to get myself as best as I can. And then let's see what the future holds. My question actually would be, will there be a place for someone like me in the Philippines?
0: <laughs> like if, if 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 the government and the economy can get to a level where they need your expertise, yeah.
1: <laughs> I guess, <laughs> or you know, need to. This is cool. This isn't exactly cheap, so <laughs> need to the cost of investment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, um. So maybe let's let's crystallize it. This is usually the question that I use to cap the podcast with, and my goal is that I I asked I asked if the uh, if this If the answer to the question came true, where do you see yourself in five years, considering the path you're on?
1: In five years, um, my best guess right now would hopefully, hopefully I'll still be with Analysis Group um, on my way to making, uh, I guess, like VP or something and contributing to the work that we're doing. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll be there. But again, very open to to other developments. Like if something comes up back home that would call for me to be there, this large opportunity to really make a difference, I would be very open to it. Okay,
0: so uh, and I hope I hope to invite you back onto the podcast in five years and see whether or not that. <laughs>
1: That'd be interesting.
0: <laughs> Luigi, thank you for coming on my podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rami.